G'day, g'day, or should I say shit day, shit day. Either way, welcome to the fifth episode of the Osnick Podcast. Yep, I'm still Ned, I'm still in my bedroom. This time I'm at a desk, I finally put it together, and yep, you guessed it, the Knicks are still shit. Well, 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 how things can change, not in a week though, in the span of 48 hours. It seemed like the last time I was here, a week ago, the Knicks were on the brink of disaster once again. They'd come off two really poor performances against the Sacramento Kings and the Detroit Pistons, but they bounced back and the crisis was averted once again by beating the Dallas Mavericks and the prodigal son in Dallas on a Friday night. The offense was moving and grooving in the first half, then the defense locked in and clamped down during the second half. So it was a game of two halves for both teams. Uh, the Knicks couldn't score in the second half, but they prevented the Mavericks from scoring. And in the first half, it was an offensive free-for-all. So I think the Knicks finally adapted to the conditions, adapted to the situation, and uh, came out on top for once. It seemed like in the first half, we figured out how to actually play proper team basketball. We moved the ball, we got good looks, and um, it was just really fun basketball to watch. And then in the second half, we saw uh, the Frank Nilekina Clinic putting every uh, Dallas Mavericks guard in prison uh, for his for the best game of his short career. So it was just an absolutely inspiring win by the team. However, as I said, a lot can change in the span of 48 hours, can't it? The Knicks came out on the Sunday evening in the United States, in New York, at the Garden, and uh, completely shut the bed against the very average Cleveland Cavaliers. Yes, they're a better team than they are last year, but the Knicks should be as well. It was uh, just, it was that bad of a performance, and it was that concerning for some, uh, Steve Mills and Scott Perry, that an impromptu press conference had to be called for a State of the Union address uh, them letting everyone know that they're not happy with where the team's at, that they expected them to be better, um, which I have to agree with. I expected them to be better than they were last year, which shouldn't be that hard of a feat to achieve, but I don't think anyone envisioned them being this bad this early. I thought things maybe might fall, or the wheels might fall off later in the season, but to start the season, I thought we'd have a bit of energy, some new players, a bit of excitement, and we'd play some okay basketball, but... Uh, through 10 games, I think we've played three good games of basketball as a whole. I count the Boston one because that was a pretty good game, I think, aside from the final two seconds. I will not forgive David Fistel for that defensive decision. Anyway, uh, the Knicks didn't come out and back up the talk they had between the game in New York against the Cavaliers and then the one 48 hours in Chicago against the Bulls. Well, they did sort of, but... Um, Again, the Knicks can't put four quarters together, can't play a full 48 minutes. They had a good first half, I'd say. Well, the first quarter was pretty good, and then the starters went out, and Dennis Smith Jr. took the reins, and things kind of fell apart. But, you know, we clawed our way back and kept in touch in the second quarter. The third quarter, we fell behind again by 10, clawed our way back, tied the game at three-quarter time. And in the fourth quarter, do we ever need to discuss it? Kobe White was shooting 21% from three on the season, and he hit seven three-pointers in the final quarter. It was embarrassing, if I'm quite... To be frank, it was embarrassing. I was on my lunch break at work, and I was just coming in uh, for the fourth quarter. I was setting my phone up on my workbench, 
I wasn't going to be moving. I was going to be play, paying attention to the game because I thought it would be a close one down the stretch. And, uh, well, no, that wasn't the case. And I nearly threw my uh, phone across the factory. Um, probably would have been worth letting out the anger in, in exchange for the $500 for a new phone. Anyway, that is besides the point. Uh, yeah, so it seems like disaster is upon us once again. And this time it could be for real. We'll have to wait and see because this game against the Dallas Mavericks at Madison Square Garden, a Thursday night in New York City, the one of the Knicks only, the first of the Knicks three games on national television for the entire season. You want to hear a fun stat? Thirty-three percent. No, how many? Fifty percent of the games in the Knicks preseason are on national TV, and then we have. 3 of 82. I don't I can't be bothered doing the maths, but yeah, you see the discrepancy there. So, um, anyway, another tangent. I'm really good at doing tangents, aren't I? Anyway, if the Knicks fail to show up and at least be competitive against the Mavericks, uh, I think David Fisdale will get fired. I believe that the Knicks won't be rational and reasonable, and that they'll be reactionary. Although, um, the sample size of Fisdale's 82 plus 10, so 92 games, has not been good. Uh, he shows he showed that he cannot coach basketball. He doesn't know anything really. Like what he had to say today to the media, that made me want to punch multiple holes in the wall, saying that the team isn't playing well at Madison Square Garden because they're tight, because they're eager to please the home crowd. No, I'm sure that's it though. It has nothing to do with actual basketball has nothing to do with actual schematics and what you're doing and what the players are doing. I'm sure it has nothing to do with that at all. You must be right. You're a player's coach. You have to be a genius. You're LeBron's best mate. You have to be right. Do one, David. Can we just focus on basketball? I'm going to tie it back to what you said for the opening night telecast. You're not here to make guys happy. You're here to win basketball games. Right now, you are doing the opposite and it's pretty fucking clear yeah there's no accountability for Julius Randle he's not he's not been there's no discipline for him he's not been put into a role uh same goes for some other players but yeah it seems like you're trying to appease some of the veterans uh rather than doing what is best for the team and uh trying to actually win basketball games so this podcast is not going to be as much as looking at the games themselves because I think everyone's done that to death so far because I'm already a bit late. Um, I work all day. I'm working full time at the moment, so I'm pretty cooked um, after work. So struggling to record and edit a podcast in a night. Um, other issues behind the uh, scenes, health wise, uh, long term. Anyways, um, but yeah, I think everyone's already done that to death. We all know the situation with um, the front office and David Fisdale's job isn't safe. Steve Mills and Scott Perry have been assured that their jobs are safe as long as the team improves. And then there was the other report that if David Fisdale is fired, then it's likely Steve Mills and Scott Perry will be replaced at the end of the season. Anyway, you could call it a tumultuous week, but for the Knicks, it's just another day at the office. It's nothing really out of the ordinary. Doesn't surprise me anymore. I'm kind of just used to it. Um... It's just like I hear the news, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Of course, the Knicks. Of course. Of course. Anyway, yeah, as I said, I'm not going to be looking at the games. I'm going to be more looking at where things are going wrong 
overall for the Knicks. Um, on the court, not going to get into uh, front office antics and management antics. Although, yes, Steve Mills is the common denominator over the past two decades, so uh, please kindly fuck off, sir. I think it's time for a change in the um, front office. I think Scott Perry, um, as you can say, he's done a good job getting the cap flexibility, but so far, like, he hasn't capitalized on that, hasn't capitalized fully on draft picks and of things of that nature. So, um, yeah, like, you can say he's done a good job, but so far it's it's nothing special. I think just the, the bar is so low considering how bad other, his predecessors have done, so that him managing not to fuck up for two years is um, a pretty spectacular feat, but in terms of actually building a good basketball team, he's uh, not at the uh, required level, in my opinion. So I would I would give him another off-season. I'd replace Steve Mills and then see how things went with Perry because I think the issue with the current front office is, as has been reported, is that people still have to report to Steve Mills and he sort of has the final say, even though the general manager is supposed to be the one making the decisions. Um, that's not really the case and hasn't really been the case with the Knicks for a number of years now. Um, so yeah, anyway, I said I wasn't going to talk about the front office, but I did. So yeah, I'm more going to be focusing on where things are going wrong for the Knicks on the floor, uh, what they are doing, what they're doing, what's hurting them, things they're doing well that they're not doing enough, and so on and so forth. So let's get into that. A general overview of the season so far is that the Knicks are two wins and 11 losses, only ahead of the 30th placed Golden State Warriors, who are two wins and 10 losses. They have one win at home and one win on the road, and they are 0-3 and three in their division with a loss to Brooklyn and two losses to the Boston Celtics. In terms of rankings and whatnot, uh, they are league average defensively, as in smack bang in the middle. They are the 15th best defensive team, giving up 110 and change points per game. Uh, that's not really the issue, I believe. I think we have the capable defenders, and we've shown at times this season that we can play solid defense. So, you know, we have Neil Akina and Morris. Taj Gibson's been uh, pretty influential for us on that end. Reggie Bullock is yet to play. The narrative is that Alfred Payton's a good defender, so I think that kind of comes and goes. But RJ Barrett's shown flashes on the defensive end. So I think we do have the capable defenders. Obviously, Mitchell Robinson, who... Hasn't been out there a lot this season. Um, so, obviously, I think we can run good defensive lineups out on the floor. And I believe those issues there are somewhat fixable. Whereas, offensively, things are considerably worse. The Knicks are 29th in points per game with 99.5. Only slightly ahead of the Orlando Magic. And by slightly, I mean by 0.1 points per game better. The Magic score 994 compared to the Knicks 99.5. So you could basically say, and with the current trend of how bad our offense is, we're, yeah, we're last. We'll just say we're last. It sounds better. It's it's easy to make negative content just by saying the Knicks are last in offense. Um, there are a few reasons, a few. There are a lot of reasons why this is the case. Um, the coaching, <laughs> that's, main, that's the main reason. The main reason the Knicks offense is really poor is the coaching is horrendous. Um, uh, if, you, if you've ever seen Spy Kids, is it the second one? I don't know, where there are the thumbs, the thumb people. Um, if you 
go and look at where they are now, you'll see one of them is the head coach of the New York Knicks. That's how bad it is. Just no, nothing going on upstairs, is there? So I have my list here in front of me of everything that has gone wrong, is going wrong, and probably will continue to go wrong uh, until something is changed. Um, I'll put this out there now. I'm a sucker for the numbers. I love my analytics. I love data. Uh, but this, in this case, this backs up 80s R&B Twitter, old head Twitter. Um, it backs up your eye test. Even though I think it can fuck off most of the time, um, what is happening on on the floor and what you can see on your screen is uh, is actually backed up in the numbers. So we'll start with this. The Knicks are ninth in the NBA in isolation possessions per game. However, they are the second worst team in points per possession in isolations with only the Charlotte Hornets being worst. Now, see, the issue here is... The eight teams ahead of the Knicks in possessions per game for isolations, uh, a majority of them have legitimate stars and have legitimate isolation threats. So the Rockets lead it, of course, with Harden, and then uh, the Blazers, Lillard and McCollum, the Nets with Kyrie. The Cavaliers are up there. Um, Sexton and Garland are pretty crafty with the ball. You know, Colin Sexton, to be fair, killed us, uh, especially in isolation situations. Oklahoma City, um, you could argue that Shea Gilders-Alexander is a young star in the making, and then, of course, Chris Paul can still uh, manipulate his defender in that situation, and the Milwaukee Bucks, I was going to say books again, Milwaukee Bucks are up there with Giannis, of course, the Golden State Warriors with D'Angelo Russell, and um, that probably has a bit to do with Steph Curry when he was playing, and then uh, just ahead of the Knicks is the Los Angeles Lakers, who... Uh, have, you know, that guy LeBron James and Anthony Davis as well. So, uh, yeah, as you can see, the Knicks are trying to force poor, or not force, they're running poor possessions for players who aren't talented at taking and manipulating their opponents one-on-one. Julius Randle, I think we quite clearly established this in the preseason, isn't an isolation player in the half court. He's not going to, when the uh, offense breaks down, he's not the guy you kick it to to try and make something happen late in the clock, um, you know, especially dribbling off the perimeter or something. And then I feel like we let Marcus Morris do it too much as well, where he'll kind of receive the ball with nine seconds on the clock and he'll um, just decide to wave off a screen or something and then go one-on-one and um, force up a mid-range shot. And then also in this category of isolations, the Knicks are 25th in field goal percentage. So as I said, um, Randall, uh, he's not someone who is able to create in this situation for himself or others. Uh, he's he's quickly becoming getting into black hole territory where he's you give him the ball and you're not going to see it again. Uh, he often just puts his head down, um, does his very poor spin move and forces up a bad shot. And as I said, Marcus Morris, it seems like with about less than 10 on the clock, he'll um, decide to take it himself and launch a mid-range jumper. The Knicks are 25th, 26th rather in effective field goal percentage, and to the point of Randall, they have the second highest turnover frequency in isolation possessions. So, um, as I said, with Randall, the very poor spin moves, and then his passing um, when he kind of gets into traffic with, as I said in the last podcast, two guys, you shadow a third, he will just like shit the bed and uh, turn it over. Um, and then the third worst overall scoring percentage, so like the percentage of possessions we actually score in from isolations is the third worst. Uh, 
overall, they rank out as being the second worst isolation team in the NBA, yet they're ninth in possessions per game. That's a massive issue. They're heavily reliant on this play, yet there is no efficiency to it. The data has suggested for a long time, and it's what the Rockets are doing now. If you have a legitimate star in this sort of play, it can work, and it does work. The problem and the issue with the Knicks is that they don't, is that they're forcing two guys who are 6'9 and 6'10 or whatever in Morrison Randall to be trying to um, act as if they're, they're guards who are, who are shifty off the dribble, but they're not. It's just, it does not make sense, and it's befuddling that the Knicks continue to run this play. Uh, it's also sort of funny that the Knicks are 10th best in defending said play, so... Um, I guess that doesn't really mean anything because, as I said, our defense isn't really the issue here. It's league average. But it's funny that they can defend it, but they can't do it themselves. It's just it's just sad, isn't it? Another fun statistic for the Knicks offense, and by fun I mean stuff of nightmares, is the Knicks are last in the NBA on shots from cuts with 4.1 per game. San Antonio is 29th with 4.2, and they're another... Uh, post up an isolation heavy team anyway um on said cuts the knicks shoot 54 percent from the field which is good for 28th in the association so even when we do get backdoor and do get a break and get a good or semi-decent look we actually can't finish them at all um the knicks are 27th in points per possession on cuts so basically they're just highly inefficient in this area um they rank out at 27th. It's weird because um, they're, they, they're so low and last in a whole bunch of the categories, yet they rank out as being third worst. And this is just something you see on your screen when you watch the games. The eye test tells you this. Just There is no ball movement and there is no play movement. It ties into the, the isolation positions. We seem to feed the ball off to Randall or Morris, and then everyone just says, my feet are concrete blocks and or my feet are nailed to the floor and there's no chance I'm moving. Like, surely it has to be by design then because no matter who is on the floor, whether it be veterans or young guys, there is no play movement ever. So the veterans who have been in the league for over a decade and survived in the league um, despite jumping around, they can't be this stupid. No one is this stupid. The high school teams I coach have better off-ball movement than this. Like, it's out astounding how bad it is. Like, we dump it off to Morris or Randall and everyone just stops. Oh, it's insane. It's a weird fun stat as well that we have no and ones on cuts this season. So basically, we're not getting backdoor and beating the defense and making someone else overcommit or anything. It's just, yeah, the Knicks suck at cutting. The offense is just horrible to watch most of the time there have been times like during that the first half of the Mavericks game at points during the Celtics game in Boston uh, not the game of the gun where the the ball has moved around and the ball movement's been great and the offenses look good but that is the anomaly that's an anomaly so far it's not the norm uh, another issue with the Knicks is that they're 25th in drives per game and 30th in field goal percentage on drives which you could put it down to Randall forcing a whole bunch of shots and RJ Barrett not actually being able to finish as well as I thought he would be able to. So there's it's two-pronged. Uh, the Knicks aren't getting to the basket enough, nor are they able to actually finish uh, 
tri-pronged if you include that they have the fourth worst turnover percentage on drives. So, uh, again, I think that could be put down to Randall and Barrett who uh, tend to get a bit of tunnel vision. The head goes down and uh, they they wrap their arms around the ball and then they get uh, stuck in a bit of traffic and uh, throw a Hail Mary uh, to no one in particular, probably someone in the crowd. Uh, I'm not sure, but yeah. The Knicks, so yeah, they don't drive enough in the first place. And Clyde said it all season. He's actually been right for once. His eye test has been correct. There's a lot of east and west and not enough north and south. So the ball just plods around, passed around the perimeter, going nowhere uh, a lot of the time, I guess. And we're settling for some poor shots. And that, again, ties into the uh, isolations, doesn't it? Another issue with the Knicks is that the pick and roll is just horrible, isn't it? Julius, Mitch, and Taj are all very good role men, wouldn't you say? Or they have been Julius throughout his career, Taj throughout his career, uh, what we saw from Mitch at times last year. However, we only have 5.1 shots per game after hitting said role man. We rank out in the middle in terms of role men. The ball handler is a different story. Uh, we're quite bad, which is seemingly obvious because we don't actually have a point guard who can penetrate at the moment. Well, uh, Peyton's been out, Smith just got back, and Frank doesn't really go near the paint at all. Uh, 24th in possessions per game, and 22nd in points per possession, and then 27th in field goal percentage. So basically, they rank low in terms of the usage of the play and ability to finish the play, both in terms of the role man and the ball handler. But they're top 10 in uh, foul frequency and shooting frequency when they do so. However, that probably doesn't mean much considering they're 30th in the NBA in free throw percentage, which is another thing which makes me want to bang my head against a wall and punch holes through it. I probably should have mentioned this stat earlier as it ties into the isolation issue as our two highest usage isolation players are also our two highest usage players in this statistic. And yep, you guessed it, this is the post-ups. So the Knicks rank 5th in the NBA in post-up possessions per game but they're 22nd in points per possession. So again, it's another play that the Knicks use frequently to no success. Uh, It's just frustrating to watch. They're fourth in post-up shot attempts. Um, Thanks, Julius, for all those missed layups. Bobby, for those missed layups. Uh, The three teams ahead have two legitimate post-up threats each, but the Knicks are 18th in field goal percentage in this situation and 22nd in turnover percentage, which, again... Thanks, Julius, for the tunnel vision. We really appreciate you coughing the ball up like there's no tomorrow. It's just really frustrating watching these guys continually post up, and most of the time it's just to come up the floor and dump it off. We've seen at times where Julius has had success in the post is that there is some form of action before it, whether it be a ball movement on the perimeter or he gets a little cross-screen action across the lane uh, to get a nice deep position uh, one-on-one before the second and third defender can kind of make their way across. But s- most of the time, we are just feeding the ball into the post, and as I said, with the isolations, everyone seems to stop moving. So, um, And you, you throw the second and third guy, Randall, and he just uh, completely forgets how to basketball. Uh, so, yeah, it's just frustrating to watch. And the same goes for Morris, where he seems to have one goal in mind uh, when he gets the ball in the post. And, Neither player seems to realize that once you get the ball in this position, it is okay to pass. You can do it. It is probably the right thing to do 
on a large majority of occasions. On a large majority, that's not a thing. On a majority of occasions in the post, it's probably the right idea to pass out and get a better look somewhere else. So the Knicks run a lot of off-ball action and a lot. They set the most off-ball screens in the NBA, and they have the second most uh, possessions that end after an off-ball screen. As in, it's not restricted restricted to um, someone coming and having a catch and shoot, or it, it can be someone catching it on the move and drives everything. But they're twenty eighth in points per possession and twenty eighth in field goal percentage, and yeah. 28th in turnover frequency as well, ranking out as the third worst team in the NBA in possessions after a screen. It's just, oh, I don't know whether it could be put down to Wayne Ellington's four shots or RJ Barrett forgets how to shoot at the rim sometimes and throws the ball away. But again, it's just, it seems like when it's another high usage play for the Knicks that they're not good at, but they... As I said, they run the most off-ball screens in the NBA and they have the second most possessions after an off-ball screen. So a high issues play that um, has no success. That's So the three plays that the Knicks rank uh, in the top 10 in so far that I've mentioned, um, they're really bad at and they continually run them. So again, frustrating, isn't it? Why do I root for this team? Essentially, the Knicks' offense consists of Methods that have already proved inefficient, post-ups, ISOs, um, one on, yeah, just one-on-one bullshit, isn't it? Two wrongs don't make a right, they make a complete shit show. But the Knicks are a solid spot-up team. That's not just restricted to catch-and-shoots as well, it can be from anywhere on the floor. The league average in a bunch of numbers, but top five in free-throw frequency and shooting foul frequency when it comes to spot-ups. But again, what does that mean when you can't actually hit said free throws? And a really frustrating thing is that the Knicks are a good transition team. We saw it in San Antonio on opening night. We ran the Spurs off the floor in the second and third quarters. Um, We had 32 fast break points for the game. And I thought, here we go. For like the eonth year in a row, we said we're going to run. And it looked like we finally were. But they're only 20th in possessions per game. It's frustrating because they're top seven in field goal percentage on in transition play, top seven in effective field goal percentage in transition play, and they rank in the top half of the league in points per possession, and they're also top in free throw and shooting foul frequency in transition. But again, what does it mean when you can't hit free throws? Anyway, so yeah, the Knicks are good in transition, but they just don't push the pace enough. Like I've said in the past, we have players who can succeed and like to play in an up-tempo game. Julius Randle just had the best season of his career, and the reason why we signed him is because he has his best season of his career. Why do you have his best season of his career? Because he was playing with Alvin Gentry in New Orleans where they were getting up and down the floor, and he was getting mismatches in transition, and he was going one-on-one with no help behind his defender. It's just frustrating. Like, Frank likes to run, he likes to make outlet passes, Tajas run the floor well at times this year. Uh, Kevin Knox runs the floor well. He likes to spread to the corners. RJ runs the floor well. Uh, Ellington hasn't played much, but you know he's just going to run to the three-point line. So we have a bunch of players who like to play an up-tempo style and um, just and they're they're efficient at it. They're good at it. And they just don't do it enough. 
it's too bad, again, tying into this, that the pace is second to last, beating out only the Orlando Magic for 101 possessions per game. So, yeah, a faster tempo would be ideal, wouldn't it? One more thing for the half-court offense is that the Knicks have a bunch of random offense which comes from uh, putbacks, the ne- which the Knicks lay the league in. They're top in possessions, frequency, field goal attempts, field goals made, points from putbacks. They're second in free throw and shooting foul frequency, but it could be just put down to the part where the Knicks just don't make shots, and they're plenty inefficient. They take 16 pull-up shots a game and hit 35%, good for a bottom quarter of the league. Essentially, what the Knicks are efficient at, they don't utilize enough. And as I said, uh, they have a high usage of inefficient players, which they rely on too heavily. And yes, I'll say it again, Marcus Morris, you are wrong. David Fisdale is going, is going, doing his best to put all of his players in a position to fail. He is not helping you succeed. He's not giving an opportunity to do so. So with all the statistics and forms of possessions combined, it all totals out to being the worst shooting team in the league at 41.7%. Funnily enough, we actually shoot 7 percentage points better uh, on the road compared to home. So it's 45% on the road, I think, and 38% at home or something like that. Oh, it's just frustrating, isn't it? Oh, can't. All this talk, protect the guard and no one's going to disrespect us at home. God, that's a crock of shit. <clears throat> Another aspect which shows the Knicks' lack of um, modernization, really, is that they're actually pretty good from distance at 35.9%, which is 12th in the league. Unfortunately, they're 24th in attempts per in attempts per game, and 21st in three-point rate. So, um, Fizz, maybe we could sacrifice some isolations and post-ups uh, for some threes. Maybe, just maybe. And yeah, aside from the uh, really dead shooting percentage in total, um, their offensive efficiency overall is dead last at 97.3 points per 100 possessions. And again, it's better on the road than it is at home. So yes, one last time, for those in the back who didn't hear it, the Knicks offensive gra- the Knicks offense gravitates towards ineffective offense while areas where they are good and efficient at and follow the trend of the modern NBA they do not utilize not nearly enough they're playing too much one-on-one basketball evidenced by being 28th in assists per game and oh yeah the Knicks are 29th in assist to turnover ratio they turn it over on 16% of their possessions, so 1 in 6 effectively. They're 27th in secondary assists and 24th in potential assists and rank 27th in assist points created. So, yep, tying back into post-ups and isos uh, and cuts, we don't move off the ball and we don't move the ball at all. And that's just where the problems lie on one side of the ball. There's a lot of issues there as well as defensively, but not as many. As I said... I think we can try out good defensive lineups and be someone competent at that end. However, we do still have issues. It just seems like the Knicks will never, ever be good at defending the three-pointer. It's bad once again this season. 21st in opponent made threes per game and 21st in opponent's threes attempted per game. While the Knicks concede the seven-month corner threes, with opponents shooting a whopping 47% on those shots. The Knicks aren't allowing a whole bunch of looks at the rim, 
They're fifth in the league, but the issue is the percentage. The Knicks are 24th in defensive field goal at the rim, and that number being 65%. Uh, obviously, with no Mitch, it hurts. Um, obviously, no, without Mitch, it doesn't hurt. Without Mitch, um, that number might be a little ballooned slightly, but still, um, even when he's in the game, he's not going to be able to make up for every little mistake that he's made on the perimeter. So tying back to the offense, the Knicks have the fourth worst field goal percentage differential at the bucket. They're bad at defending it and bad at making it themselves. Again, in the in-between, the Knicks are fourth best in terms of shots conceded, but fourth worst in the actual defense of it. The differential, again, ranks quite low at 25th. Uh, The Knicks give up 18.5 wide open looks per game, with opponents shooting 45.4% on them, good enough for 26th in the league, and uh, 14 of those are threes, um, which opponents are shooting 42% on. So essentially, the Knicks concede a lot of uh, short corner threes, which their opponents make them pay on, and then their their opponents are making them pay on the part where they just don't defend and leave them open from the perimeter. The yeah, as I said, the, the they're being made to pay. The issue isn't. Um, the 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 attempts conceded, which it's it's around league average, it's the percentage, which um, shows just flaws in the schematics of the defense, and it actually could be an effort issue also because it seems at times where um, our defense will collapse and the ball get kicked around the perimeter, and um, just again no one's no one's closing out on them. The Knicks are also twentieth in contested threes conceded, which that's not a good thing when you think about it. Um, conceding contested threes or allowing contested threes, you would prefer to um, have your opponent shooting a lot of them. Uh, it shows that their defense isn't forcing poor shots. Um, they're not forcing a lot of late clock offense, even though they're pretty blanket standard shot stats. It just shows how just average defensively the Knicks are and below average in a bunch of areas. They don't defend their the three ball at all. Um, and when you kind of extrapolate and look at all the individual stats, it kind of seems even worse than they um just the standard um, threes made per game by the opponent is. Um, the interior defense is poor, and as I said, obviously no Mitch doesn't help, but he's, as I said again, he's not able to cover every little mistake. Um, as I have said as well, it wouldn't be unfair to place majority issues on David Fistow. Um, the lineups he's trotting out there, the Morris, Randall, Portis. Um, I want to throw my phone on the ground and um, smash it with a hammer. It's just horrible to watch. I just can't bear to watch it, especially defensively. Uh, Morris is an issue. It's just that Randall and uh, Bobby Portis might as well be sitting on the bench or just stay down the uh, offensive end of the floor. There's just no point defending. They're just not going to do anything anyway. So um, maybe we'd have more success flying around playing three on five. You never know. Um, You never know until you try. So anyway, the Knicks, I don't really want to get into the defense because I said I think it's their average at it. Um, There's a few areas where they're poor, but overall they're league average. Um, Another area, as I said, with Fisdale, I think a lot of the issues fall back on him. His lineups, they are dreadful. It's right there in the numbers. When he said, yeah, as, a, as I mentioned it at the start of the podcast, that 
when he said that he thinks the team is playing poorly at home because they're tight and eager to please the home crowd. Oh my word. Words cannot describe how many um, expletives went off in my head. He's run some god-awful lineups out on the floor this season uh, to the team's demise, and sadly, he sticks with it. Avoiding the negativity, however, because I'm in a good mood today. I don't know why. Maybe because it was warm in Melbourne for once. Um, we'll start with the positives. Two of the best three-man groups who've played 50-plus minutes together are Portis, Nilakina, and Kevin Knox with a 16.4 plus 16.4 net rating which is 105.1 defensively, no, 105.1 offensively and 88.7 defensively. Second to this, Randall, Nilakina and Knox with a 3.2 net rating, 108.8 offensively and 105.6 defensively. So as you can see, it seems like Nilakina and Knox have um, some some poise and connection together. Um, the offense seems to click when those two are on the floor defensively, I think we're pretty good when Frank is on the floor regardless. Um, yeah, but that's about where the positives end, really. Uh, the four-line man-ups aren't great, but if you lower the minutes enough um, to qualify, there are some signs of life. In 21 minutes, Portis, Nilakina, Dotson, and Knox uh, have a net rating of plus 54.3, but it's probably misleading as this was the group who made the run at the end of the third quarter against the Cavs. So um, it's only played in three games together, I think, with one of those being that third quarter. Um, another interesting lineup was Randall, Knox, Nilakina, and Portis, who are plus 29.6 in net rating in 32 minutes. The surprising thing with this one that I just befuddles me because the Randall and Portis combination, wherever it's been, has been so poor. But with this one, it's been over six games, which is a solid indicator that the group has some form of com continuity whenever they're together, um, whether it's in extended minutes or short bursts. Like, they seem to be able to maintain a solid level of play. Um, but now, for the stuff of nightmares. Fizdale's three most used lineups of any number of players, well, three to five band lineups, have an average net rating of minus 19.1, and an average offensive rating of, wowee, it's a stinker, 93.6 points per 100 possessions. Uh, the common denominators there are Randall and Morris in all three, and Bobby Portis in two of them. It's quite clear that this front court doesn't work, like I mentioned before, and I said it a few weeks ago, and as everyone keeps saying on Twitter, it doesn't work. With three, three guys, with, <laughs> with three, 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 with these three guys on the floor, there is no spacing. It is three players just trying to post up. And when we started Portis at center against the Kings, it was literally three players in Portis, Randall, and Morris all trying to post up at the same time on the, in the same possession. And they just, like, they literally ran into each other. They were playing pinball and not basketball. They are two completely different things, David. One's an arcade game and one's a professional sport where you get paid millions upon millions of dollars to put a ball in a hoop and stop the other team from putting said ball in said hoop. So maybe if you could learn the difference and stop running these three guys out there at once, 
I would be so very thankful. It's my one wish for the uh, Christmas time. Um, you can give me coal if you want. Just don't don't run this three man group out there. Hey, you never know. They could all be gone once December fifteenth rolls around. Uh, that's when the fire sale will likely begin if the Knicks continue to play this poorly. So yeah, David, stop running your really shitty lineups out there. Um, fix your offense, please. Let your assistant coaches have some input, mainly Mike Miller, because I'll say this with Mike Miller. Um, if fifth hour was to get fired, I hope Miller is the one who gets the interim tag because his teams in Westchester were always very good. And the impressive thing about being very good consistently over multiple years in the G League is that your players are always changing, not just from season to season, but from game to game. Uh, in his time, he had Cornet and Dodson go up and down, up and down. He had Joe Kim Noah there, Ron Baker, whatever. Um, players leave to go play overseas, um, signing contracts or getting injured and whatnot. But he was still able to, despite all the moving parts, the forever changing landscape, to be successful and win games of basketball. Uh, the offense was always very good. Um, Although that could be put down to some individual brilliance from the likes of Jim Fredette and uh, John Jenkins. However, those guys weren't always there, um, and it was continually good. Uh, defensively, I'm not so sure, because the G League is um, basically um, defense isn't uh, mandatory. Um, if you'd like to, you can try and play it, but uh, it's not recommended. Uh, might be bad for their health, I'm not sure. Just not a thing down there anyway. Um, yeah, and I think the G League is also, it's a very highly competitive league now, and it's gotten a lot better, and uh, the standard of basketball is actually a lot better, and um, I can actually sit there and watch it uh, sometimes with, you know, if it's on in, on in the background while I'm doing something, that's very good. So yes, Mike Miller, I believe he actually uh, is good, is good, has a basketball brain, so yes, if he were to get the interim tag, I would be pleased. Um, yeah, so uh, that's about it for what's going wrong. Um, what what do the Knicks have ahead of them, you ask? Well, you probably didn't, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The Prodigal Son returns to Madison Square Garden on Thursday night in New York City. It's one of three televised games for the New York Knicks. Um, if things go very badly, I suspect something will happen post-game. Um, uh, maybe a few woge bombs, a few shams. Wow. Um... Aside from that, the Knicks, if things fall apart against the Mavericks, they have to rebound quickly because they have to head to Charlotte and take on the Hornets for what will probably be the worst game of basketball I will watch this season. Uh, that is Saturday night in Charlotte, so that will be Sunday morning for me, day off. Um, so yes, I'll be watching it. Um, maybe I'll have to crack a beer or two at uh, you know 10.30. 11 in the morning to get through it, but um, it's what you got to do to survive these Knicks, isn't it? And then after that, they take on the Cleveland Cavaliers on a Monday night at the Garden, and please, please don't let it be a repeat of what happened. I can't, I can't bear for the reactions and the blow-up that would come out of that, being run off and embarrassed on your home floor by this... This version, this coronation of the Cleveland Cavaliers twice in the span of eight days, that would just be, it would be heartbreaking. It would send me 
in a deep spiral of uh, alcoholism and depression, probably. Um, but, well, that'd just be the same and another day at the office for an ex-fan over the past, eh, like any other day of the past 20 years, wouldn't it? Um, so, uh, this is make or break for the Knicks, this upcoming stretch, I believe. The season is probably already broken, per se. Um, like, there's just not much hope. But um, in terms of things, there at least being a possible turnaround and there being some signs of life, I think this is kind of uh, the real test where you get your first national TV game, you've been in the public spotlight, the national media spotlight for um, throughout the week and since Sunday, so, you know, five, four days later on a Thursday night, national TV, um, everything might come to a head. So, you know, you've been under the spotlight and then you'll be under the spotlight. The bright lights not only of the Mecca, but of, uh, what is it, Thursdays or what, TNT games? Um, yes, so I'm sure we'll get ridiculed by Chuck and Shaq and Kenny and anyone who is uh, commentating the game, but yeah. And if the Knicks go into Charlotte and then perform quite poorly and lose badly, um, again, like, just meh. I wouldn't be surprised if it were to happen. It would be disappointing nonetheless, but just the uh, surprise wouldn't be there anymore. And the same goes for losing to the Cavs and being embarrassed by them. So, yeah, it's make or break for the Knicks. If they can turn it around, win against the Mavericks, win against Charlotte, um, you know, I'll go back to being a Nuffy. And uh, what are we at, nine losses? Yeah, so we'll we'll probably go 73-9. and nine. Um, it will tie the all-time record and we'll probably uh, win the uh, championship this uh, next year in 2020. But yes, that's been it from me. I've been Ned. This has been the fifth episode of the Nick Podcast. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, the uh, handle is at Ned7821. Uh, I tweet out a bunch of random shit about the Knicks and uh, a lot of it's reactionary in the spur of the moment watching the games. Um, there's also, if anyone knows what AFL is, I have some uh, pretty lukewarm takes on my Essendon Bombers. Uh, the handle for this podcast is at Osnick, so A-U-S-K-N-I-C-K. Um, if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, where I believe I got approved, uh, go ahead and chuck us a follow or whatever it is. Uh, leave a rating and a review, even a one-star review. You know, just get me on the board, get, get, get the ball rolling. Um, you know, be much appreciated. Um, I will catch you next time. I will see what my mental state is next time. Boy, who knows? Cheers. <laughs>